All right, friends, we're going to pick it up where we left off in Genesis chapter 25, begin verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Um, so we're, we're still on Jacob and Esau. Last week we considered these two and the choice God made regarding uh, them and their descendants. And today we will look at it um, as far as the choice that Esau himself made. Esau in the Bible here and uh, as you're going to see in the New Testament is what we would call uh, a cautionary tale. Cautionary tale. I suppose you know what that is. We've been hearing these since we were kids. The most well-known, probably the most well-known, uh, most famous fairy tale in the English language is Little Red Riding Hood. It's a cautionary tale. When it comes to cautionary tales, they're scary, you know. They're, they're supposed to be scary, you know. They're supposed to scare you. But I have noticed that as of late, we don't have a whole lot of, we don't have much of a taste, a palate, an interest in those sorts of things. Case in point with Little Red Riding Hood, something I discovered this week. So you know the story. As it turns out, um, Red, Little Red Riding Hood is not only in the English language, actually we stole it. <laughs> I asked Jeff Tay down the hall, hey, Jeff Tay, uh, do you guys have Little Red Riding Hood in French? Ah, oui, Le Petit Chevron Rouge. Something like that, Le Petit Chevron Rouge. As I found out, that's the original. <laughs> Published in 1697 by Charles Perrault. Well, you know the story, you think you know it. It's a cautionary tale. Little Red, her mom says, Little Red, go bring this to Grandma, but stay on the path. Don't get off the path. And on the way, of course, she sees the big bad wolf, and he tricks her, and he says, oh, leave the path. Go gather some flowers. And while she's doing that, he goes to Grandma's house ahead of her, and you know how it goes, what big eyes you have, what big ears you have, da-da-da. And then... You know, the story ends with whatever, you know, version you're reading. Uh, a hunter comes in, or a woodcutter, or a lumberjack, 
and saves the day. Well, guess what? In the originally published version of Le Petit Chaperon Rouge, there's no woodcutter and there's no hunter. Both Grandma and Little Red, dead and eaten. The end. It's a bit more scary that way, isn't it? It's kind of supposed to be, because it's a cautionary tale, right? Stay on the path. Don't depart from the path. Well, fairy tales, perhaps for children, maybe you can make that argument that it's appropriate to change it, maybe. But we shouldn't do that with the Bible, right? And as it stands... In the Bible, the Old Testament, and you're going to see in the New Testament, there's some, there's some cautionary tales. There's some things that, that can be scary, that are, that are supposed to be scary. Uh, such is the case with Esau. Um, on this particular day that we just read about, he comes in hungry, and he decides to trade his birthright for a bowl of soup. Um, his birthright, Esau was the firstborn by just like a minute or so. He was the firstborn, though, and being the firstborn of this particular family carried with it a birthright. And the birthright, make note of this, the birthright was... Spiritual, and the birthright was physical. He had something coming to him that was both spiritual and physical. And I'll tell you in advance, and please understand this, the great promise, the great birthright of the Christians is something that is both spiritual and physical. Some people make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is about trading the physical for the spiritual, it's, it's very wrong, but I suppose that's another sermon for another time. For Esau, he had a birthright that was both spiritual and physical. Spiritual meaning he was the, the grandson of Abraham, which carried with it a special spiritual blessing of being the special family of God, the, the covenant of love the spiritual blessing, but there was also a physical blessing, a physical promise, the land that was promised to Abraham and that, that went with it, and also a double portion, a double inheritance from his father. This birthright should have been the most important thing in his life. But on this particular day, it wasn't, was it? What was more important? Soup, a bowl of soup. Well, um, there's a lesson there. He traded it all for a bowl of soup. And we're going to see this brought to the light in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It happens in the middle of the chapter, but we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter to get the whole picture, okay? It is a cautionary tale. Uh, Lord, let us hear your word. Let us be shaken if we need to be shaken. Uh, let us hear the tale for what it is. And ultimately, I, provide, I would ask that if we do need to be shaken, we would be shaken to a greater comfort. Uh, 
to real comfort. And guide us, help us hear from you, help us know you're here by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition to sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, setting the scene, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, this is good to be reminded of. If you're a Christian, you are in a struggle. The word means a fight. If you're a Christian, you're in a fight against sin. That's the reality. Those of us who are born again, we are born again into a war. We wake up in a war. That's, that's the Christian life. I hope that you understand that. And um, here, he is saying a number of things about this fight. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I've noticed that in this Christian life, there's a path, Right? A path, following Jesus. Stay on the path, stay on the path, follow him. And there's things that want to make you leave that path. There's, he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There are some things that are clearly sin and they entangle us. And, you know, we think we're just going to like step off the path for a moment, but then we're entangled and we're stuck. And then we're going farther than we planned to go. And the path is just getting farther and farther away. Throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. Everything that hinders. Some things are not even necessarily sinful in themselves, but they're not helpful. They hinder. Throw off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles. And it says this. In this fight, this is what you do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's our example. And how Jesus endured suffering, because Jesus endured great suffering. We see here, very important, we see here how he endured the suffering. What did he do? This is an example for us. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, the joy of Jesus. And his joy also was a, a, a spiritual and a physical joy. The promise. He kept his eyes on it. That would be the most important thing for him. He was willing to suffer for it because he kept his eyes on that which was most important. This is how we stay on the path. We're going to see this expanded upon as we keep going. Uh, verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, 
We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So here he says, endure hardship. Jesus endured hardship, and the way that he endured, the way that he stayed on the path was he kept his eyes on the joy instead of on the hardship. He kept focusing. And he says, you too, endure hardship. And I want you to know that this is very much connected with our struggle against sin. And I'll, I'll try to explain that. Endure hardship. Have you heard that the Christian, Christian life is hard? Have I told you that? I've told you that. Maybe you didn't hear. The Christian life is hard. And I'll tell you why. So in the Bible you have... Egypt, right? God called his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know that, right? It's a picture of us getting called out of a life of sin. God called his people in the Exodus out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and he called them to the promised land, the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, a place of spiritual and physical joy. But in order to get from the land of slavery to the land of promise, what did they have to do? What did they have to cross? Well, the Red Sea, yeah. But after that, the dreadful wilderness. Going from the land of slavery to the land of promise, they had to pass through the dreadful wilderness. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, New Testament. When we were with you, we kept telling you that we were going to suffer hardships. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Through many hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. We gotta pass through the wilderness. Here's what happens in the wilderness. Your faith is tested. You leave the land of slavery, and you say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the joy. I believe in the promise. And in the time of the wilderness, there's a question that's posed to you, and the question comes when hardships and suffering arises. And the question is this. Yeah, but do you really believe? You say you believe, that's good. Do you really believe? Do you believe when things are hard? And one of two things happens in the wilderness. For some, sadly... It becomes evident that, no, you don't really believe. And that's what happened to most of them, to be honest, in the time of the wilderness. Most of them died. Most of them never made it to the land of promise. Their faith wasn't real. But for some people, if your faith is real, here's what happens in the wilderness. Your faith becomes strong. That light, that joy that you're looking at, it becomes brighter. It becomes more real. So the wilderness is good. You know, Jesus, he too had to walk through the wilderness. The Spirit of God brought him right into there. Matthew chapter 4. 
brought him into the wilderness to suffer, to fast. And you know who he found there? You know who went to the wilderness to meet him, right? The tempter, the devil, Satan. And his message wasn't that complicated. Step off the path. The Holy Spirit is leading you on a certain path. You've seen it's kind of hard, right? I've got a better idea. Follow me. And that's how it works. We're on this road. God is leading us. There's hardship. And the tempter comes in with a lie. I can make you feel better. I can make you feel good. Don't trust any of that stuff. Here's a plan for your life that will bring real fulfillment. Step off of that path and follow me. You see, temptation is especially alluring when things are hard, and that's when the tempter arises. But the wilderness is there for a reason, and that's what we read here. Endure hardship as discipline. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that you're being disciplined for something specific. It just means that God is shaping your character. And here's something that's kind of odd. Jesus himself needed this. Don't get me wrong, he never sinned, he was perfect, but uh, kind of a passage that you might find interesting, Hebrews chapter two, it says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. I mean, he already was perfect, but he was made perfect, and kind of like you have a perfect seed, but that perfect seed still needs to grow into a perfect tree. And part of the way that Jesus grew was through suffering. And if it was this way for him, surely it will be this way for us. In order to get to the land of promise, the, man, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of physical and spiritual blessing, joy, we got to pass through the dreadful wilderness. And the way that we survive, one of the key things to do is to know that this is here for our good. That's what we read here. This is here. This, these hardships are here because God loves us and he knows what's good for us. So... This is, this is just the Christian life summarized, I tell people so often. So much of the Christian life is in this world, feeling hardship, feeling pain, seeing the temptation that says, leave the path and follow me, but instead saying, God is faithful. He's going to take care of me. He's going to keep his promise. Um, this is something that is interesting. The wilderness Jesus passed through afterwards. Do you know what happened? After 40 days of suffering and saying no to the temptations, you know what happened? You read this, I think it's verse 11 in chapter 4 of Matthew. Angels showed up. Angels showed up to minister to him. I don't know what that specifically means, but I can guarantee they brought comfort. They made him feel good after 40 days of feeling bad. It's a passage I want to read here. I think this comes from 1 Peter. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God is the one bringing you through this hard time, 
but trust in him. He's faithful. In a little while, he's going to comfort you when he's good and ready. He knows the best time for your suffering to end. He knows the best time to send the angels to minister and comfort you. Um, he's doing this for your good. So, verse 12, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Here it's saying strengthen yourself. Well, how do I do that? How do I strengthen myself when I'm feeling weak? I was reminded when I was reading this of Isaiah chapter 50. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, they're, uh, they're, they're mocking him. They're spitting on him. They're beating him. But it says that what he did was he set his face like flint. I will not be ashamed. Set your face like flint. What that means is it's, it's really what we already read. Yeah, they're beating him, spitting on him, mocking, on, mocking him. But I'm not paying attention to that. There's suffering, there's hardship, but I'm not going to look at that. Instead, I'm going to set my face like flint. On what? On Jerusalem. On the promise. On the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That is how we strengthen ourselves. Stop looking at the suffering. Stop looking at the affliction. Look at the promise. Consider the promise. Meditate on the promise. Think about what God has in store for us. The things that he's promised us. And by the Holy Spirit, taste it. Taste it. It's close. The kingdom of God is at hand. Do you know what that means? It's near. It's close. Repent. Meaning turn. You've wandered off the path. Get back on the path. Why? Because it's soon. It's at hand. It's close. Pleasure is forevermore. It's close. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what had been done. That happens a couple chapters later in Genesis. We read something, and it's supposed to catch your attention. When Esau sees that the blessing is not his, it says he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. But it was too late. And that's the cautionary tale. He sold it all for a bowl of soup. And then the soup was gone. And the lesson for us is, we have a life here, right? How long are you going to live? You don't know. Maybe 80 years, maybe 100. You got that over here. And there's a promise over there. And that promise... Is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, 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 physical pleasures, spiritual pleasures, forever. 80, 100 years, 
you know what it amounts to? One bowl of soup. And maybe it's good soup. Maybe it's wonderful soup. But eventually it's going to be gone. And when it's gone, it's not coming back. Don't be like Esau and live for that. This, um, in the passage that I just read, it says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And I used to read that thinking that it meant don't be bitter, don't turn to bitterness, because that can cause problems for you and many others. And I think that's a good lesson, but that's not actually what the passage means. Um, don't let any bitter root grow up. That actually comes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 29. It goes like this, it says, Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. My, oh my. That's, that's, that's the cautionary tale. That's, that's the warning. To hear God's word and to say, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be safe even while I'm walking in the stubbornness of my heart. Meaning, even though I'm not on the path, I haven't been on the path for some time, I'm going to be okay. That's not the message we have, friends. The message we have is stay on the path with a Savior who's going to care for you and who's going to take care of you and who's going to live through you don't comfort yourself if you're not on the path. That's the root of bitterness. Um, verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, I realize that some of these verses are scary, and I want to be honest with you. I wouldn't scare you with verses that I have not been scared by, all right? The reason that I would talk about this with conviction and passion is because I've allowed these words to penetrate my heart, and I've felt unsettled. I've felt scared reading about what happened to Esau and noticing, hey, I'm not so sure I've been walking on the path lately. And it does its work. Those cautionary tales, those warnings, they do their work. They're supposed to. But praise be to God that caution and fear isn't the only way he works in us. And ultimately, his goal is comfort. Here, he's talking about the law. 
the law that was given at Sinai. And he said, they were afraid, right? They were afraid. The people who heard that law was afraid. But that's not the kind of fear that we should have. Because the fear they had was, this is a holy mountain, and if you touch it, you're going to die. So stand back. God's holy. You're not. Stand back. That was the message they heard. And here it says, that's not what we've come to. We've not come to Mount Sinai, but we've come to Mount Zion. And here, we have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. His blood speaks a better word. And if you don't know what that's talking about, go back and read about the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Abel spoke. The blood of Abel cried out. It cried out to God. And what it cried out for was justice and vengeance. Justice and vengeance. That's what the blood cried out for. But the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out like that, does it? The blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness and redemption. And here we have a Savior. At Mount Sinai, the message was, you're a sinner, so you better stand back. The message we have is, we have a Savior, so by all means, come. You must come. Come to him. Come to him by faith. Come to him, O sinner. Come. Believe in him. Which simply means to confess in your heart to God that you're a sinner that needs salvation and ask for his forgiveness. Ask for him to change you. Ask for him to keep you on that path as your feet are so prone to wander as all of us carry in us this body of flesh. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Come to him. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. They didn't refuse those who warned them from earth. How much less are we going to escape if we refuse him who warns us from heaven? A couple of notes on that. I know, I know, I've been around Christianity for some time. In our modern approach to Christianity, I've noticed that warnings have often gone by the wayside. We think that they're not helpful. That's not New Testament approach. Don't be, read the Bible, right? He warns us. Hear the warnings, okay? So don't get upset with me for warning you, okay? I'm just... We're in this together, <laughs> trying to read what the Bible says. We all need to hear it. Um, he who warns us from heaven, I just want to say what I think this means. 
So I'm here, I'm just a person, right? I'm just a person reading the word of God and you're hearing it, just the voice of a man. But are you hearing anything else? If you listen, are you hearing anything else? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. If my voice is the only voice you're hearing, then you're not listening close enough because there's another voice through mine that is speaking. The voice of him who is in heaven warning us. And the warning is, get back on the path. Don't pretend in your Christianity because that's ultimately what the warning is about. Hearing the word of God and comforting yourself saying, I'm going to be safe even though I'm walking in the stubbornness of my heart. And the way that we return, the way we return to the path, verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this is why and this is how. Set your focus on that kingdom. Whatever you're following is not worth it. It's only a bowl of soup. What we have is a kingdom at hand. Physical and spiritual. Spiritual meaning we're going to know him. We're going to know his love as part of his family forever and ever. We're going to know this love. Physical. If you haven't read, the streets are made of gold. And the food is good. It doesn't say that specifically. <laughs> but it says that on day one, there's a feast. I'm a chef. I like to cook. I suspect that the food's going to be better. It's going to be better than what Esau ate. I promise you that. Every day for all eternity, the food we eat will be better than that bowl of soup. And so, because it's so close, because it's at hand, let's set our eyes. Look what Jesus did. Set his eyes on the joy. Set our eyes on the kingdom. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. Life's hard right now. Yeah, there's trials, granted, not for very long. Angels are going to comfort me as they did for Jesus. God's going to lift me up when he's good and ready. And for now, this pain is for my good. It's going to be worth it. Joy, it's close. The kingdom of God is at hand. Father God, help us see this truth, know this truth. As we come up for communion in a little bit, Lord, let us come as people who are coming to a Savior, saying, live through me. Lord, let us see you. Let us understand your heart, how you set your face like flint, and let us do the same with our eyes set on joy. In your name, Jesus, amen. to celebrate Ryan so much. So we're going to do two questions. I'm making the... Two questions. Let's do so, it. So um, if you have a question in the room, raise your hand and we'll have a microphone coming around to you. Otherwise, we'll see if we have any questions on our text line. And if you would like to text a question, the number's on the screen. I assume it is. Yes, it is. Any questions in the room? All right, we have one down here.
sort of saying that don't matter how hard the road is, we must stay and apart. And God will see us through. That's it, my friend. That's it.